Listening to Modern Dadhood. <laughs> oh man. Right out of the gate. An ongoing conversation about the joys, challenges, and general insanity of being a dad in this moment. So, who are you? Yeah, uh, my name's Adam Flaherty. I'm a dad of two girls who are nine and six. And you? My name's Mark Checkett, and I'm a dad to twin boy five year olds. How five? I'm f- hey, did you know that I'm... Hey, can I ask you a question? Hey, Dad. Hey, can you... Hey, Dad. I have a question. Hey, can you... Hey, did you know? <laughs> Spit yeah. it out! Spit it out! Sometimes Sarah and I just look at each other and we go, Oh my God. How is there this much to say? Is it, how are they on, with listening? <laughs> it's a real question. I I think you, you probably know the answer. <laughs> I probably know. Yeah, I probably know the answer. Oh, my God. Listening is so difficult, you know, to try to get them from dinner into like the shower mm-hmm. or PJs or whatever it is. It's just reminding them every single step. And now they're at an age nine and six, especially my nine year old, where I feel like she we should be able to rely on her a little more to like keep things moving forward and not get distracted and stay on task. And, uh, man, we're struggling with it. Yeah. I mean, my, my kids get lost, like going from like getting out of the bath and wrapping a towel around themselves to like going into their bedroom, which is across the hall. Mm -hmm. Like they'll stand there as if they literally have no clue what they should be doing next. It just becomes a grind and I feel like they become desensitized to it when we are constantly reminding them and it feels like we're picking on them. Like nagging. Yeah. Right. We instituted some time ago a cooperation jar Uh system. Uh, So each boy has a jar. Uh, They have two. They have the jar that has all the tokens in it and then the empty jar. And when they complete a task... Uh, they get a token and then and then there's like i think i think there's 10 or 15 tokens in there and when they get all 10 of them or 15 of them into the jar they get some kind of reward and it could be like you know uh, a trip to starbucks with you get to choose which parent you want to double take shot you. <laughs> yeah and and you can get you can get whatever you, you can get whatever you want and whatever you want to them is usually like a cake pop or a cookie Hold on a sec. Can we just talk up? Can we talk very briefly about how mm-hmm. disgusting uh-huh. those cake pops are? Yeah, they're not. They're, it's a good like it's a good idea. It's an example of a good idea, a bad execution. How much is a cake? I pop don't know. I was just going to say, I mean, I might as it, it, I might, I'd be happier giving my kids a five dollar bill to just throw into the toilet and flush. <laughs> like I'd, <Yeah. laughs> I'd be just to take one small happy. bite of before they light it on fire. <laughs> yeah. But so we, so we started this cooperation jar and it was, you know, first it was kind of a free for all and we were struggling with it. And then we talked to our therapist about it and um, we, she made some suggestions. And so we really like sort of clamped down on what are the things we really want them to do most often and, and that we want them to start to become self-sufficient in? And it's been it's been working. And then like this morning, hilariously, we got the little monitor on the phone and yeah. we he- hear them waking up. 
and we're watching them. And one of my sons, like he just gets out of bed and then proceeds to make his bed. Amazing. Like, like tuck the sheet. I don't tuck the thing under, I don't even tuck, <laughs> you know, he's like tucking in under the side. And it was, it, it just, it, it was a slow and long and mo, you know, often painful like transition. But when we sat down last night and really started thinking about it, there has been some noticeable changes. Yeah. And I'm sure it's very easy to not notice it when it is working just because your life is easier. And it's, you know, it's the things that are that stick out to you or the ones that that bother you. Yeah. Well, that's great. Maybe we'll try a cooperation jar. Something. You know, the thing that we uh, haven't done yet. Secret handshake. We haven't done the secret handshake, man. Have you taught your kids a secret handshake? All right, ready? Before we get too hot and heavy into this episode, uh-huh. here's what I want to say to our uh, thousands of listeners, existing listeners, and the whole bunch of new listeners that uh, I know are just hearing Modern Dadhood for the first time right now. Yeah, the tens of new listeners. <laughs> We're glad to have you here. Thanks for spending a little bit of time with us. I think this is going to be an awesome episode and you're really going to love it. Uh, You can find all of our episodes of Modern Dadhood on our website. That's moderndadhood.com. You can also find the podcast anywhere you listen. That could be Apple, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Spotify, or really anywhere. Uh, So find us, subscribe to us. If you like the show, please give us a five-star rating and a couple words of a positive review. Tell a friend about the show because word of mouth is very important to us and that helps us to grow and get the word out to uh, other dads and moms. I was just thinking, if you're a new listener and you're not sold yet, if you're like, what is this? What are these guys yammering on about? I implore you to go back into the archives. Check out episode 59. I'm going to give you, Adam, I'm going to give you the name of the episode. See if you can tell me the name of the guest. Oh, yeah. Finding balance as a new dad. Finding balance as a new dad is Matt uh-huh. Gorley. <gasps> you nailed it. You nailed it. Finding balance as a new dad. Uh, Matt Gorley on, on fatherhood and, and some other things. Great episode. And this is coming from a guy who uh, who is the, the co-host of a podcast who actually wasn't present for that interview. I, I actually just got to listen as a listener. I wasn't able to join Adam. And that it was a good one. Matt's a, a busy guy, and it was um, really generous of him to spend yeah. a little bit of time with us. Great episode. So start there. And then if you're still not sold, fine. Fine. Move on to the next one. Go to the next podcast. Speaking of guests, though, mm-hmm. um, who, uh, do you want to tell the listeners uh, who they can expect to hear from today? I'd love to. Let me just refresh my memory. No, today we're going to hear from uh, Mark Roman. Mark Roman. That the do you one? want me to you do you want me to whisper it to you? Is that the one, Mark Roman? <laughs> yes, that's okay. the one. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. It's, no, today I'm I'm I'm. <laughs> oh my god! God damn. Um. Yeah, I'm stoked for our listeners because uh, they're going to hear our interview with Mark Groman, who's a privacy professional. And um, let me just rattle off a couple of titles. Here and see if these make sense to anybody. Chief Privacy Officer of the U.S. Federal Trade Commission. Right? Uh, How about this one? Chair of the Federal Privacy Council and Senior Advisor for Privacy in the White House under the Obama administration. 
pretty cool guy. Uh, I would say we we always say this about about ourselves. We say we're not experts, right? We constantly remind our listeners we're just two dinks trying to figure things out. Uh, this guy, he's an expert. Okay, and we talk a little bit about privacy. We talk a little bit about uh, devices and the internet and things like that. It's interesting. Mark is an incredibly interesting guy. Uh, happens to be another. Mark with a C. Is he is he the only other Mark with a C we've had on? Oh yeah, as a guest. Oh yeah, yeah. Did you yeah. feel uh, when we chatted with him? Did you feel any sort of sense of competition or? Oh no, no, quite quite the opposite. I felt a deep connection. Oh, good to know. Yeah. Well, we will get into our chat with Mark Groman very soon, and I'm excited for you all to hear it. Mark. That's me. Here's what I want to know. Your boys are five. Mm-hmm. I know that they their uh, experience with technology, with devices at this point is still fairly minimal, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So when they're at an age where you and Jamie are comfortable with them, you know, grabbing an iPad or a phone or like even sitting at a, a computer connecting with other people. You're even as even not connecting, even just, you know, starting to like search for things on YouTube or just do mm-hmm. Google searches for things that they're genuinely interested in. Have you guys thought at all about how you will attempt to protect their privacy or or have conversations with them about the importance of that and mm. the, the things that can go wrong when you don't protect your privacy? I'll, I'll be I'll be completely honest. Ready? I'm sort of still in this mindset of like, I don't have to think about that yet. I, mm-hmm. It's it's a future thing. I don't have to think about that yet. But it is it is approaching and it's and it's and its arrival is is imminent. So while I'm sort of saying like, I don't have to think about it yet. I'm also kind of secretly quietly saying like, I, I man, that is such an area that's scary. And I, I don't really want to start thinking about it yet because it's vast. I'm not a programmer, but like I kind of get the algorithms and how they are designed to keep you, you know, and always serve you with the newest, the, the latest thing. And have you seen that? And oh, you, you just spent six hours doom scrolling and you were supposed to be going to bed instead. Like I'm well aware of like all of these negative things that are that are sort of out there and that can, are attached to all of these things. And it's just the thought of like figuring out how to help a young person like navigate that landscape is such a daunting thing to me. Yeah. Well, especially when in terms of privacy, like what, when you talk about these, this system that's designed to keep you engaged, the way that it's doing that in serving you the stuff that it knows you like is by collecting your information. Right. You know, and even at 40 years old, like there's, a lot that I don't know about how to keep my information private. And so that makes it all the more intimidating when I think about my nine-year-old, for example, who, who does, you know, use a laptop. Right. Like it's not just let's talk to our kids about privacy and safety online, but there's all of these other discussions too, that still have to take place, but just have to do with, critical thinking, yeah. the under, the un, uh, understanding when something doesn't feel quite right to call it out, you know, 
uh, when something is true versus not true or real versus not real. I mean, these are things that, that can help you offline as well. And our guest has actually a really interesting. He's interviewed a lot of kids. He, he, you'll find out he's, he's ha- he's has his own podcast and he's interviewed teenagers and they talk about, he talks about there is no online and offline in these kids live. It's lives. It's just this, this is their world. Mm-hmm. You and I are still very much, we remember having dial up, you know, and we remember yep. a, a, a time before the internet, you know, and the when online. You, yeah. When you used it, you had to go through a process to become connected. Right. And you were connected for that 15 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes. And then you were disconnected yep. and you were back to real life. Yeah. A big difference in those worlds. Huge, huge not, difference. Not so anymore. I think it feels like a good time to segue into the first part of our conversation with Mark Groman now. Mark Groman is a privacy professional and a successful business owner with a long and impressive list of accomplishments and accolades, including the first chief privacy officer of the U.S. Federal Trade Commission, and he served in the Obama administration as chair of the Federal Privacy Council and senior advisor for privacy in the White House. And that's just a couple of the amazing things he's done professionally. He's also a husband and a father to a teenage son. So Mark and his husband, David, produced their own fascinating podcast series called Their Own Devices. And Mark Groman, thank you so much for joining us. It's really an honor to have you here today on Modern Dadhood. It's a pleasure. It's such a great topic, and uh, I've enjoyed listening to your podcast. Well, thank you so much. The first thing I wonder is, you know, I listed off just a couple of your credentials here, but when you have done as many things as you have done uh, professionally, how do you kind of summarize that for people in a simple way? Privacy, cybersecurity, national security, policy dude. <laughs> there we go. All right. Is that, that, is that your LinkedIn uh, <laughs> headline there? It, it's the tagline. Um, yeah. it, it, it's certainly evolved over time, but I started out primarily working in the area of privacy, digital privacy um, and data protection. And then that led into cybersecurity and now the national security sphere as well. Well, a lot uh, has changed since you left your position in the Obama administration, uh, including things that are privacy related things that are happening in the news right now that um, I I don't think that we probably have time to get into at all. But I'll just say that, man, do I miss uh, those days when you were working in the White House? That was a, a much happier and more peaceful time. I think that's right. And I have many colleagues on both sides of the aisle, and we worked on very difficult issues in a truly bipartisan, collegial way. Um, And one of those areas being children and children's Mm -hmm. privacy, because it's something that we all care about. Um, And I'm hoping that that kind of bipartisanship about these kinds of important issues that impact our children and our families, that that can return. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it seems like a no brainer for, uh, for, for people to, uh, find a place where we can kind of agree, you know, um, in that, in that topic. Um, so obviously we have, we have so many things that we want to talk about with you, um, when it comes to privacy and kids and the internet and social media and so on and so forth. But we kind of always start these conversations with our guests, just asking a little bit about 
your family. Can you tell us a little bit about your teenage uh, son and, and what's going on these days in, uh, in parenting for you? So parenting truly evolves um, as our children, and this is saying the obvious, but as they grow and mature, and hopefully as the frontal lobe in their brain uh, continues to develop, the issues and the challenges change, right? The problems don't mm-hmm. go away, but the problems definitely evolve. Uh, and my, my interest in this topic, because it was never really, you know, children's issues, children's privacy was never really something on my front and center in my professional life um, or personal life. But I did find myself in the White House um, around the time when my son had entered middle school. Mm-hmm. And I would spend, you know, 12 hours a day arguing with the FBI and DHS about computers and technology and apps and devices. And then I would go home and at the dinner table, um, these same fights would replay and actually they'd be far more frustrating because it was with my middle school kid talking about computers and technology. And and I increasingly became concerned about um, a variety of topics that would come up at the table around devices, platforms uh, and, and internet use. I mean, that's what a dichotomy it feels like. To, like, I, were there times where you're sitting there at the dinner table, you're talking to your son and you're thinking things like, how did we not think of that? Boy, that's the first time I've heard of this thing, this brand new thing. Like, are, is it, is it, were you seeing like a, a huge disconnect, I guess, between those two worlds? Here's where the disconnect was for me personally. And here's why when we did our podcast, it seemed to resonate is that while I have a deep understanding of technology and the internet generally and Facebook and parental mm-hmm. controls, um, I did not have a deep understanding of adolescence or children um, mm-hmm. or the adolescent mind and how it works and does not work. Whereas mm-hmm. uh, my partner is an adolescent medicine specialist. He did a fellowship in adolescent medicine. He is in the Department of Pediatrics and Adolescent Medicine at Georgetown University Hospital. It's all he does is care for and write about teenagers. And and it started to um, click for me when I would be articulate things about basic security or passwords or don't send a picture of your blank uh, online. Mm-hmm. And it seemed straightforward to me as dad and adult, um, and it was never resonating. And so it, it was interesting for me to, to see how an adolescent or young adolescent was approaching this and their inability to appreciate risk and their need for the instant gratification, their inability to understand harm and to take the time to try and navigate some of the more difficult issues, how they were influenced by peer pressure or FOMO. And it was that combination that really started to get me alarmed, Hmm. frankly, because the platforms at the time and currently are built to exploit that in kids, not help them. Right. There's so much, there's so much there. I feel like, I I feel like this could go in in so many directions just from what you said. There's so many great uh, themes there to explore. Yeah. One of the things that I, that I love about your podcast, and I do hope that dads and moms listening will uh, take the time to go check that out and listen through it because it truly is fascinating, uh, is that every few episodes you bring teenagers in and interview them. And I don't know if it's just because luck of the draw, but the kids that you've involved in this um, are very articulate. They speak very well. They, they communicate um, very clearly. Not but... luck of the draw. That was a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well then uh, great job. Yeah. You, you, uh, you've done well. 
But it's so interesting hearing about this from their perspective, because as parents, you know, we talk amongst ourselves about things like um, my daughters, for example, are nine and six. And my nine year old is just getting to the age where she's becoming really interested in connecting with her friends from school and from the neighborhood online. And she doesn't have a device. The, The only Internet enabled device that she has is a music player, an MP3 player where she can listen to things on Spotify, but she can not text. She does not have social media. We spoke about this in an episode a few weeks ago. She's finding ways to communicate, even just through collaborating in Google Documents with her oh, friends. Sure. It's very interesting and kind of nerve wracking to think that, you know, we're going to have to start keeping a very close eye on this and having some really open conversations with her about the positives and the negatives of internet usage and social media. I think that's right. Um, you know, we could go in so many directions. We could talk about some of the software tools. And, and I know I, I listened to that episode and someone mentioned Bark as a tool and, mm-hmm. you know, there's screen time tools, uh, parental controls, but that really doesn't get you all that far. Um, mm-hmm. Because as I've learned from my own kid, uh, it becomes like a dad kid arms race of um, I put it under control and then he goes on YouTube and figures out how to hack it. Right. Um, and then we're right back to, you know, to square one and you'd be, you know, stunned at how a kid who really wants to um, really can circumvent most parental controls. Um, they're designed primarily for sort of rule abiding kids who, mm-hmm. uh, you know, w- will take it a little seriously. And so it does come down to, from my perspective, there have to be conversations First of all, just about your family values and we'll leave it at that. But we don't talk about the online world and offline world separately any longer because from their perspective, there's no distinction. Mm -hmm. And so we should understand that as adults, that they don't see this as online and offline. It's just their world. If you wouldn't do it offline, you shouldn't be doing it online. Full stop, period. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we need to train them about that. Um, Of course, online presents different issues around anonymity, um, Mm -hmm. which triggers some stupid behavior. But- What I would say is when they get their first device, and I'm calling it a device because we need to stop calling it a phone. I mean, it's not a phone. It hasn't Mm -hmm. been a phone for over a decade, right? It is a highly sophisticated supercomputer, and that's mobile. It's not a phone, and iPhone needs to stop calling it that because they're computers that give our children access to several million apps and the entire internet and platforms like Discord and social media and have sensors Right. They have sensors, all of them around from cameras and microphones to uh, location tracking and dozens of other sensors about the pace of movement. Right. It's not a phone. So let's not call it that. It's like calling it a calculator because it has a calculator function. (laughs) Right. Yes. We might as well call exactly right. So so recognize that. And then as we present it to our children at the age that the parent determines is appropriate is to walk through what it is you're receiving and then set up the parameters and rules and expectations around what they're receiving and explain it. Pros, cons, do's, and don'ts. You know, walk them through the basic privacy and security settings, which I'm shocked most adults still can't do. Yeah. But to understand what it means to navigate the online world, what it means to be in social media, and walk through all the issues gradually in a way that is not condescending or patronizing, but just saying, you know, hey, I want you to be there. There's a lot of great stuff on here, right? Mm-hmm. Social media can be very positive, but there are a lot of really dangerous things out there and let's walk through them. And I want you to understand how this works. Yeah. For, for me, 
you know, so I have my kids are a little younger. They're I have twins that are five. So I'm kind of only just sort of getting into this world a little bit and thinking about all of these things. And and I'll, you know, I'll be honest. It's it's a thing that I sort of because I've been able to because my kids are young, but also because it's a little terrifying. I've been sort of pushing out, you know, I'll figure out how to deal with that. I'll figure out how to talk about it. I'll figure out how to understand all of these things. I'll figure out how to um, keep up pace with because it's a it's this sort of seemingly like exponentially, you know, advancing area that we're talking about. And all of that, you know, it sort of adds to the terror, (laughs) you know, like like the oh, my God, this is this is a thing that scares me. How am I ever going to begin this process? But I I heard something, you know, on, on your show that put me at ease a little bit. And you just said it a minute ago, which is stopping you know, don't think about it as this online and this offline thing. It's the world. It's the, it's their world. Uh, and that helped to put it in perspective a little bit for me and make it a little bit less terrifying. And then the other thing is, is the notion that where you should begin are conversations that you can have fully independently of, of the topic of something like social media, for example, when you start putting in the perspective of talking about understanding what's right and what's wrong. So that's right. But I also want to get back to something else that you have to be concrete with kids. Yeah. And so having a high level philosophical values based discussion is a starting point, but it doesn't get you very far. Mm. And I found that with my kid, it was over time teaching through concrete examples, news stories, occasions where other kids were dinged or got in trouble Mm. where they could start to link activities with consequences was very important. But you can also start at a high level once you do, because online obviously has differences. And, you know, one thing my kid heard from me repeatedly was, um, I want you to remember this. Anytime you go online, I don't care where you are and I don't care how private you think it is. I want you to just think about this before you hit send or push something out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Everything you do will be public. Mm. Everything you do will be public, say it a hundred times. If you don't want grandma to see it, don't do it. Mm. Right. I know you think you're super cool because you're on Discord or you're on Reddit or you're on Snapchat, you know, and, and, and I've heard over and over, but it's just my friends. Great. How many friends? 1,421 of my closest friends are in my social media account. Well, I stand by what I said. It will mm-hmm. be public. And then contemplate that it will be permanent. So when you hit go, when you hit push, when you send your text, when you post, make sure it's something that you don't mind seeing when you apply to college when you're trying to get nominated from the U.S. Senate, whatever it may be, just repeat to yourself, this will be public and this will be permanent. Start with that high-level principles over and over. And I found this to be a good starting point. And then you can't stop everything. and you, So you have to start identifying what you consider to be some of the higher risks or concerns and over time start to address those. And again, using media and other things as concrete examples. Yeah, that's really uh, that's really interesting. And one of the things that uh, one of the themes that does come up uh, frequently in the episodes of your podcast that I've listened to is is that notion that uh, until maybe a certain age, young people don't have the true ability to understand or perceive the potential consequences. But I also that's true of many adults, too, by the way. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I also wonder Is part of it that maybe they do think about potential consequences, but they 
uh, don't have the ability to really care about them. And maybe that's because, you know, the, the, the idea of social media is, you know, we talk about it being like a drug and the, the dopamine hit, you know, part of it is just the thrill of sending whatever it is. There's the, the thrill of it and that overpowers their ability to reflect before they send it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I would say that tees up two issues. Although I want to make a point to your audience before I go forward and make sure everyone knows that um, I love technology and I live on the internet and I actually have a fairly robust presence and I interact with social media and we have more devices in my home than I care to share. Um, Internet of Things devices, everything's connected. So Mm -hmm. um, I know that sometimes people will hear these things and think, oh God, this is, you know, a guy with tinfoil and he's Um, (laughs) anti-technology. Just my whole career has been about tech. And so I want to be clear that um, I've always been a technology evangelist, but again, my views changed dramatically as my kid entered middle school and as Mm -hmm. I started to see and learn more and more. And that's where my perspective comes from. So you teed up two issues. One is, are the kids thinking about and evaluating risk, period? Right. Um, I would say um, minimally. Uh, and and what sh- actually what really did shock me, and I, I assume it stands today, is that the worst years for this were middle school. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, and so, so for someone who knows adolescence or adolescent development, that may not surprise them. But, you know, 11-year-olds were handed these devices and access to the Internet. You're in sixth, seventh and eighth grade. And I personally was stunned, horrified at what was taking place among seventh and eighth graders, including sexting. I couldn't get my head around that. Hmm. So it's about development, brain development, maturity. Have we given them the right tools, the right time? Um, But by and large, adolescents are not thinking about long-term consequences. It's more about the instant gratification and the inability to contemplate that this photo may reappear in a year and what might that mean. Um, So you do have limitations just because you're adolescents. And by the way, I'm not skewering an entire generation. Uh, Like this is about science and all the studies that have come out all support these ideas about adolescent development. And that would be my partner side. Then there's the technical side, which is what you teed up, which is that the platforms and tools are designed to sort of exploit the adolescent mind and the lack of development, right? And so they will put in place things like auto-scroll and things like the like button or Snapchat scores, which then gamify everything. And they will say that they're giving you points for added participation. These are tools that are designed to addict the kids so they never leave your platform. I mean, it's about keeping the kid there as long as possible. There are other ways they could say it. Um, for advertising, they want to enhance engagement. This is to keep your kid stuck to the computer and on their platform and try and prevent them from ever leaving. It is intentionally designed that way. Yeah. The end game here, though, is to collect data and monetize, right? Um, there, there are different models for different platforms, but by and large, most of the platforms are advertising driven. Mm-hmm. And that means, yes, so they need to collect the data so they can produce profiles and they can sell higher value digital advertising and put that in front of your kids. Yeah. And I mean, it's so uh, it's so embedded and part of the experience, too, that I think it's gotten to the point where kids now I sound like that old man yelling at cloud, <laughs> but yeah. like kids now also. And I think, you know, this I forget which episode of of your show I was listening to, but you talked about this where you've got you've got Instagram accounts and then you've got the other Instagram accounts and you're really curating your I mean, you're actually doing back out into the world. You're marketing yourself now. You're actually playing the same the same kind of game that's being played on you. It's gotten to the point where 
it's it's now a part of of how you present yourself out into the world, which is to me a really hard thing to understand. I mean, I guess I do to it to a degree, but this so notion- to a degree we all do it, and right. to a degree also, um, I would say that curating an experience is positive and thinking about what you are presenting online is good, but unfortunately it's gone to such a unhealthy extreme yeah. where some kids will spend hours, right? Curating exactly what they post. Um, they will alter their photographs. They will alter how they look using digital software to remove whatever, to make themselves look thinner online, to mm-hmm. add a different background. And that is a tremendous amount of pressure on a teenager who's yeah. trying to grapple with everything else in life, but also really worried about what am I posting? And you talked about the dopamine effect. So what will happen very often with younger girls is that, right, you look for how many likes or positive feedbacks do you get from each photograph? Because that's what gives you that dopamine effect, right? That's what drives you. And so what often happens is, well, you'll do one photograph and it's, you you know, you dress up, you wear makeup, it's a little, you know, provocative and you get more likes than ever before. And then you push it and then you're a little more provocative and you're getting more likes and you start doing behavior you wouldn't otherwise do to continue that dopamine effect and that positive feedback by posting other photographs or engaging in behaviors you maybe you wouldn't do if these like buttons and scores and other things weren't available. Right. I mean, you're optimizing just, just like we talk about with Mm -hmm. SEO or any, any kind of marketing. It's uh, man, it's so crazy. Let me try everything. Let me try this keyword. Let me see how this keyword connects with, with my audience. You know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's such an odd thing to consider being a part of your everyday process as a 13 year old. Well, and what I was uh, where I was going earlier when I mentioned the the dopamine thing and potentially that, you know, contributing to, I don't know, overriding their uh, ability to really think before mm-hmm. they make a decision is circling back to the notion that online and offline is not a thing. It's all just their life. And if offline they are seeing that the most powerful people in the world or in our country are doing things without consequence. Why should it matter that if I post something that is offensive or that could be problematic down the road, it's it's not going to cost me my career. It's not going to hurt my opportunities because you've got and again, I don't want this to become political. You've got, you know, maybe the president of the United States who is saying these just absolutely atrocious, um, offensive things seemingly without consequence. Well, what it does go back to is, again, when I would be speaking with my son about consequences around, let's say one that's easy to talk about. It's only one of many issues, but sexting, right? So sharing nude photographs, sending the um, dick pic. And if you need to edit it, feel free to beep it out. But, you You know, say whatever the fuck you want on our podcast. (laughs) So, so, you know, you're sending the dick pic or you're asking for the nude photos or collecting them from, from, Mm. from girls and others who are also in high school. You know, that is playing to various parts of the adolescent boy's mind. And he's not, they're not thinking about consequences, but there are countless stories that I can point to where there were severe consequences, um, ranging from your applications, your admissions to a university were um, taken back and scholarships were lost to um, teenage boys being arrested for mm-hmm. being in possession of what was actually um child pornography because the people were underage um, to being expelled from school. 
a, a whole range of consequences that came from um, that activity where, you know, oh, but it's just me and my girlfriend. It's private. It is private until one of the two people, until you break up and somebody decides to circulate everything, right? Yeah. So starting to understand that and drive home that um, there are consequences and here are concrete examples of how things have gone really wrong for lots of kids as a, as a learning opportunity. It seems like reinforcing the notion that the connectivity that exists and and like you might say or your kid might say it's these friends, right? It's these 500 friends or, you know, what have you. But like the connection that those 500 friends to all of their 500 friends is so close to you. You know, and then there's and there's I mean, I know that there are apps and there are methods that people use of saying, I'm going to put this out, but then I'm going to delete it and no one's ever going to see it again. And that speaks to back to the fact that like, hey, it's out once it's out there, yeah, like it's kind works. of out of your hands and you're connected to so much other stuff, other people that you just it's so hard to really know. And no matter how hard you try to control once once you're in that, it, it becomes out of your control so quickly, you know, like, is that is that a, a worthwhile point to try to continue to sort of hammer? We have to make that know? point, right? That goes to my sort of earlier comment about, you know, saying at the dinner table relentlessly, just assume it's going to be public mm-hmm. and permanent. Just yeah. assume that, right? You know, that, those things that you shared with that girlfriend or boyfriend that become public after the hostile breakup or somebody's angry or hurt or jilted, the small friend group. And the number of times the group chats for middle school and early high school students are a disaster. Mm-hmm. They have huge benefits, but I can't tell you how many problems, if not most, that we observed somehow had their roots back to the group chat of the 50 kids from school. And something that was said, misquoted, misunderstood, someone was dropped or ostracized, put in, put out, and just not being able to understand that, like, the number of times, not just from what I observed here, but I've heard from, like, a kid posts something in a group chat that is just the 50 kids, and the next morning it's on the principal's desk. Right. Mm. Right. What a shock, right? Parents have controls. Parents can see. Some don't. You know, so so I've seen multiple kids suspended for things that were posted in these private group chats that they never contemplated would be anything but private with a small group. So they have to think about that. Is this is this a place where it those of us who are of a certain age can remember being back when we were kids and having well call it a group chat, but like what was it in real life? Probably like a sleepover where we had six or eight of our closest (laughs) friends where we're we're talking you know, uh, about something that we would never want our parents or our teachers or the principal to overhear, you know, or maybe there's a, a drawing that somebody mm-hmm. made that's, you know, uh, you know, and, the and better analogy might be passing a note in class, which I was notorious for. And I sure. Told, <laughs> yeah. Right. Where you write something stupid or it's the picture of a teacher or whatever it is. Yeah. Right. And you never intend it to be disseminated or seen widely. And then the teacher grabs it, reads yep. it to the class, whatever it is, and it lands somewhere else. Um, you know, that, but it's still not, not even close. Well, and I think it's like what, I guess what I'm kind of getting at is like, that was a very real possibility, but it's so big. It's so much bigger, so much more amplified. It's the friend groups are larger. The, the, right. the potential is so much greater. And like, do we, do we get that? Do we understand that? Meaning like we, the parents who kind of remember passing notes, 
you know, in, oh, no. in a class. No. I mean, know? that is uh, so parents really do need to understand the technology your kids are using, the platforms they're on. And I don't mean or expect parents to have to understand every nuance mm-hmm. and every technical platform control. It's impossible. They evolve. We can't keep up. Um, but you, we do need to understand at a minimum, what are the tools on a given platform? Is it group chat? Is it only one-to-one chat? Can they chat with strangers? Is it restricted to certain groups? Um, is it allowing for posting? Is it photographs? Is it location tracking? Those are some of the basics that's important to understand about uh, a given app um, so so that we can talk to our kids about it uh, and, and, and we can understand it and they can understand that. If you want to be, you know, a dad who connects with your kid, you know, we can try and guide their interests. But at the end of the day, their interests are their own. And so I was never a basketball fan. And for whatever reason, my kid's an outstanding basketball player. And I spend all year now at basketball games Hmm. watching him play and others. And, you know, now I've I've read books and I know basketball. And when it comes to the way they uh, engage online, if your kid's a gamer, pick up the game and the joystick and learn. Um, and understand some of those features in a game and try and make it fun. It's a chance for your kid to teach you Mm -hmm. and for you to be the student and the child to be the teacher, but to understand what does it mean when we're talking about in-game purchases and Mm -hmm. buying avatars and skins? And what do you mean my kid spent $300 in a game? It's a game. I didn't know they could do that. What do you mean that they're talking to strangers who are adults and I don't know who they are? How was my kid's account hacked? So, so being able to understand that will put you at ease and, and you'll, you'll get to see why they enjoy it, what it is about it, and, and you'll learn about it. Our chat with Mark covered so much ground and was so inspiring that there was very little to edit out. So this is going to be a two-part episode. So you've just heard part one, and uh, please stay tuned for our next episode for the second half of our conversation with privacy professional Mark Groman. Do you, mind, um, do you mind if I come in for a minute? Come in? Yeah, do you mind if I come in? Oh, yeah. Welcome. Come on in. Thanks, dude. Ooh. Make yourself at home. Oh, it's a little, a little pungent in here. Um, Can I offer you some tapioca? <clears throat> that'd, be, that'd be great. Thank you. I, you know, I haven't had tapioca since the sixth grade. So, uh, yeah, sure. I'll take up on that. Do you drink tonic? Doesn't everybody? <laughs> Coming uh, right up. Listen, hey, man, you know, sometimes uh, in these, uh, what do you call them, episodes, uh, we do a, a recurring segment. But you know what I've, you know, I may have, I may have cooked a little something up for us on this one. I love when you pull these surprises, man. I got a little quiz. I what do you have in store? For us. Well, first of all, I'd like to say dads and moms who are, are, are listening uh, will, will know that Father's Day has, has occurred. So happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. First and foremost, I've prepared for you, my friend, a Father's Day facts quiz. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I have, <clears throat> I've got four questions for you um, that, that uh, there's, there's a range of difficulty. Um, some of them are, are very Father's Day centric and some, some are more just, uh, just about fathers and fatherhood and dad related stuff right you ready to get started i mean i'm a little nervous let's i mean what the hell let's get in let's do it 
Let's just hit it off with question number one. This is a multiple choice, by the way. What year was Father's Day recognized as an official holiday? Was it Mm. A, Mm -hmm. 1972? Mm -hmm. B, 1985? Mm -hmm. Or was it C, 1969? It was definitely C. It was the earliest option, 69. Oh, shit. I'm so... What was it, 72? Sorry, but you didn't get that correct. It was A, 1972. Uh, Okay. All right. All right. Here's a redemption question. Bonus question. You get Mm -hmm. this right, then you get the points for question number one. What president signed Father's Day into law as a permanent holiday? Uh, You know the year. 1972. Who was before? Was it Ford? It was before Reagan. One or two terms before Reagan. Who was it? I'm trying to nod and shake my head to help you get to the... It was Nixon. Oh, Richard Nixon. Dick Nixon. Okay, question number two. Before it became an official holiday, the first Father's Day celebration took place in 1910. Can you tell me in which U.S. city? And I'll give you multiple choice. Was it A... Boring, Oregon, B, Spokane, Washington, or C, Toadsuck, Arkansas? It has to be, it has to be Washington State, right? Because the others are too silly. It has to be Spokane, ding, Washington. Ding, 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 ding. All right. <laughs> Nailed it, man. Nice work. Good job. Uh, boring and Toadsuck, actual city names. I I believe that. Yeah. There is an animal in the animal kingdom in which the male carries the eggs and births the babies. Yeah. Yep. There sure is. I will give you, I will give you multiple choice. You don't even need to, but go ahead. Okay. A, is it the echidna? B, is it the Texas blind salamander? Or is it C, the seahorse? It's definitely the seahorse. 100% final answer. Ding, 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 ding. Yes! <laughs> Two for three. Two for Far three, out. man. This is great. You're doing really good. All right. Now, I, I, I don't... You're feeling good right now. Yeah, I knew that I, one. I, you're feeling really good right now, and you look good, too. Uh, you, you are going to shame me. You're going to embarrass me. This last one's going to be... This is going to be tough. Maybe, you know what I'm going to do? Just yeah. really quick. I'm just going to break up question three and four with a, with a, with a dad joke. Yeah, please. <clears throat> when does a joke become a dad joke? I don't know. But it's easy. When it becomes apparent. <laughs> that was worthy of a chuckle. What's the last question? I actually broke out in a full body sweat. In the middle of that joke. Okay, question number four. There have been two sets of father-son presidents of the United States of America. Can you name them? And folks at home, feel free to play along. Two sets. I mean, I think, I think we know that there's the Adams family, right? 
We've got John and John, right? The Johns. Correct. And then, um, I'm going to have to start a timer on this one. You want, I know what you want me to say. You want me to say the Roosevelt's, but no, I'm not going to say that. The 20 second timer has started. I'm not going to say that. It is 15 seconds. Oh, uh, come on. Uh, Taft, uh, uh, Garfield, um, six seconds, uh, Three seconds. Uh, is it the Bush family? Ooh! Just under the buzzer. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Okay, all right. That was a good one. You did great. You did Thanks, great man. on the Father's Day facts quiz. I'm not so. feeling great about it, but it was a fun exercise. Great. Good. It's good, to, it's good to exercise the old noodle once in a while, you know? All right. I, I have a real strong feeling that this episode is going to run long. So why don't we close it out in a timely fashion? Let's just let's just bing, bang, boom. You ready? <clears throat> yeah, go. Go. Thanks for listening to my fr- friends, dads, moms, <laughs> acquaintances, people we don't know. Thanks for listening to Modern Dadhood. Again, we ask you, please consider, consider leaving a quick rating and review wherever you listen may it be apple Podcasts, amazon music stitcher spotify wherever you listen we challenge you tell one dad or mom friend about the show you can also find us just really quickly on uh, instagram facebook linkedin and on the internet at www.moderndadhood.com where you can purchase things like t-shirts, dad hoodies. You can listen to all of our episodes. You can fill out a little form, which will send a message to me and Adam. And you can say things like, I love the show. I know Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and I think he would be a good guest. You could say that. What did I miss so far? Oh, I think you got most of it. I think it would just be saying thank you to Casper Baby Pants and Spencer Alby for the music that's heard in our episodes. Thank mm-hmm. you to Pete Morse at Red Vault Audio for mm-hmm. taking our recordings and mixing them and EQing them and making them sound great. Thank you so much to Mark Groman for joining us. And please do, uh, listeners, come back for our next episode for the second part of our conversation with Mark. It was a, a fascinating one. And Mark, check it. Mm-hmm. You take the last one, please. Oh, oh, I would just like to say thank you for listening. <laughs>